Are you ready to experience the rich interconnection of spirituality, orientation, and identity? If so, plan to attend Liberating Your Divine Identity, a retreat at Unity Village during Pride Month, June 9th to the 12th. This soul-filled retreat is facilitated by LGBTQIA plus Unity Ministers with workshops and ceremonies to cultivate a deeper awareness of our spiritual nature. Register at unityvillage.org forward slash I am divine 2022. Practical spirituality. Positive messages. This is Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Welcome to World Spirituality, exploring the unity within all cultures and faith traditions with your host, Reverend Paul John Roach. So, hello and welcome to World Spirituality on the Unity Online Radio Network. Yes, I'm your host, Paul John Roach, coming to you actually from my my grandson's home in Texas right now. And uh, joining me today is uh, Sylvia Hayes. She's a public speaker, an empowerment coach, a new economy strategist, and environmentalist. And she's currently studying to be a Unity minister. So kudos to that. In 2014, though, while serving as First Lady of Oregon, uh, Sylvia became the uh, the target of a politically motivated ethics investigation that uh, went on for several years, and the public shaming that resulted led her to re-examine her life, uh, but it also provided a deep inner awakening that it's the subject of her book, uh, When Life Blows Up. That's a great title, isn't it? When Life Blows Up, A Guide to Peace, Power, and Reinvention. And uh, so it's a, it's a joy to, to talk about these devastated subjects, but also the, the knowledge that there is a, a way through. And um, so we're looking at the loss and the betrayal, but also uh, the, seeing the, uh, the wonderful things that have happened since. And in fact, this, the book is a really a guidebook to overcoming. So it's a pleasure to welcome uh, Sylvia Hayes to today's show. Welcome. Glad you're with us. Thanks so much for having me. And, you know, we've all experienced, maybe not as dramatically as your story, it is a very dramatic story and uh, takes up a a lot of the book, and and rightly so. Um, But we've all experienced those moments where, uh, you know, life has exploded, right? We're going along thinking everything's fine, and then, boom, something happens. It could be a divorce. It could be a, a devastating illness. Um, it could be a, something, you know, that's um, to do with with, the, with ethics or whatever. Uh, it, but it, but it, whatever it is, it could be a, a drug experience, alcohol experience. Um, it, it leaves us um, shattered, doesn't it? It, le- it leaves all that we thought was true untrue. Yeah. And how do we go forth from there? So. Fill us in a little bit about, uh, I don't want to spend the whole show talking about the the blast and all the bad stuff, but uh, we, we, we need to know the context, right? Well, sure. I do want to say, though, that, um, you know, I think right now uh, with the COVID-19 and everything that's going on, there are a lot of people whose lives are blown up a bit. Exactly, so, exactly. The book is definitely not... Um, 
memoir. It, I had to really, I, when the book really finally came to fruition after several, several drafts and many years, when I realized that the point was not what happened to me. The point was, what's the value that can be gained for it? And, and, what, and what helpfulness can this put into our world? So that's really the point of it. Um, the nutshell of the story is, uh, as I sort of described uh, in the book, there was my life before uh, October 14th, I think October 7th, 2014, and life after. And on that day, uh, I was serving as first lady of the state of Oregon. I was partner to the governor, um, longtime life partner to the governor, and he was running for re-election. And the call informed me that a reporter had dug up uh, some things from my past, which included being involved in a many, many, many years earlier, being involved in a green card marriage for money um, and peripherally involved in a planned, but I walked away from um, marijuana growing operation and political opponents used the the quote misdeeds from my past to launch the the campaign that you mentioned making allegations that the governor and I had misused our um, public positions for personal gain he won re-election anyway but resigned a few months later under just the ongoing onslaught of media pressure the two most powerful media outlets in the state were largely the drivers of this. Um, and it was, it became a shattering ordeal. I mean, we were investigated by FBI, IRS, DOJ for two and a half years before they came back and said we didn't find anything to file charges about. Um, destroyed my business for quite some time. I lost over, I'm sure, 90% of the people I considered friends uh, or colleagues at least. Um, and I completely lost control of the public narrative about me. And um, it came, I came as close in this to not continuing on as I ever have in life. And this is not my first adversity. Um, I had quite a lot of adversity as a young person, but this was the most intense. And, um, and then I, I really went from breaking down to, as you mentioned in the intro, breaking open. And I had a number of what I believe are pretty deep mystical experiences that put me on a very different um, spiritual and even professional trajectory as my business and everything else has built back. I, I'm still doing now many of the same things that I've been so impassioned about my whole life, but boy, am I going about them differently. Right. And um, th there was also the a concern about you know, your involvement with uh, your business, with with the political situation as well. Right. And, and I think your husband, he's now your husband, I believe, John, um, you know, it was it involved you. You know, um, he wanted you to be part of that. Right. It, it wasn't like it was a bad thing that you were. Um, doing something underhand, but uh, there, there was, uh, he wanted you closely involved in some ways. With, yeah, yeah, that, that was our vision going in, and that's what the whole investigation was about, that whole two and a half year, and then the Ethics Commission, all of that was about the involvement, and in truth, um, I was really naive. John and I, and, and interestingly, I would say so was he, even though he was a long, had been in, in elected politics for a long time already at that point. But we were naive about um, 
how difficult it was going to be for me to to be involved in policy development and whatnot in the areas that are my passion and that were my were my business. Um, I do think we blurred the lines more than certainly more than we intended to trying to make all of that work. And in retrospect, the only way for the vision that we had of really doing that work together that would have worked would have been if I would have foregone all paid work going into it. And I just wasn't willing to do that. For what it's worth, we did do that at the beginning of 2014 to just make it easier in the second term. But by then, and then everything blew up. So a um, lot of lessons in there, a lot of lessons. My biggest mistake was not being fully transparent about my past before getting into a high profile public position because had I done that, um, John didn't even know about those things from my past. And I just, I really had compartmentalized that weird 18 month period so far away that I never thought about it. That was a devastating mistake though. And this whole thing took a tremendous, tremendous toll on the person I love most in the world. And that's been, um, that's been a, you know, a, one huge thread of dealing with and recovering from it all. Well, it surprises me and, and pleases me that, you know, you've maintained that relationship right till this till this present day, because that doesn't often happen. You know, when you go through these traumas and it's very uh, connected to the person that uh, you love, uh, you know, often the, the relationship can crash and burn, you know, for one yeah. reason or another, because the pressures are so much. And I, I know you went both went through incredible pressure there. So, you know, to maintain that is is quite remarkable. Yeah, I feel so incredibly blessed. I could have said uh, before this all happened that John and I had been together 10 years and we had never raised our voices or said an intentionally hurtful thing to one another. And mm -hmm. I, I can still say that after all of this. We've had, yep, we've had to deal with blame. We've had to deal with frustration. We've had, you know, and, and I think for when couples go through anything like this, like you mentioned, um, death of a child, whatever, these big, you go through it together, but you're also in your own lane. You're going through it together, but it's affecting each of you differently. Yes. And, and that's what we, that's what we have navigated. Um, it's amazing. You know, you mentioned in the book, you, you know, your earlier life, and I, I don't want to get into psychoanalyzing anything, but uh, it did sort of ring true that you, you stated that it was very important to you that people um, appreciated you, you know, that you did, you worked extra hard so that people would have a high regard of you. And it's got to buy, and partly it's because of the, you know, some of the traumas of your early life that uh, you needed to have that sense of validation. And it's interesting to me that often when, when we have that sort of um, uh, psychological uh, setup, um, it's tested, you know. So so the very thing that was very important to you, you know, that, that to have respect, to have integrity uh, was, was torn down, right? And and so it's it's it seems like the universe sometimes goes after our weak points you know we, we we act like we're very confident and sure but there, there's some yep. there's a sort of a tenderness sort of vulnerability beneath that you know Brene Brown talks about that a lot and you reference her in the book um, but it's interesting how 
the universe sort of could see beyond the the facade to to what's really going on here and and ultimately it's for our uh blessing isn't it it's 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 if we can learn from it correctly um how effectively um but but it's it's gosh it hurts at the time oh man it was um it was so wildly humiliating and and rattling when I realized, I mean, I'm a person who have, has done a lot of self-development work. I've you know, always been a spiritual seeker. I, right. believe, I believed myself to be so much more self-aware than I really was, and that rattled me. Um, and I, I, I just did not realize the depth of my need for external validation. And that, that really um, created the conditions for the whole mess to be much bigger than it needed to be. You know, I, I just, I, I not only wanted to do good, my motives are very good. They always have been, but I wanted the credit for doing the good. And if I had been less attached to the credit, the, the, um, instigators of all of this would have had less fodder that had to be looked through during the whole thing. So absolutely, you know, one of the, one of the pieces of spiritual breakthrough that happened as a result of this, I was about seven or eight months into the ordeal when I started working with A Course in Miracles. And I was very off put by A Course in Miracles because of the language, because it's masculine based, it rang too, it sounded too much like the pretty fundamental Christianity that I had had inflicted upon me as a child and that I had very much backed away from, but it also spoke to me. And I think it did speak to me so much because one of the central tenets of course in the course is that it is the recognition that we have, that we are these true spiritual beings, but we're often having ego in our driver's seat. And ego, as the course defines it, is not just arrogance or insecurity, it's this, it's this construct we create, this identity that we create and put forward and then fight like hell to protect and maintain and build, but it's out of, this, out of a thinking that that is protecting us when it is actually robbing us from the truth of who we really are. And I, I wrote in the book, I was like the Darth Vader of ego. You know, I had all this power, but I didn't have the wisdom to be able to, to, to be even aware of it or manage it at this point. And um, there was some deep, painful work in that, but I, I want to offer hope because I, I will say that, um, having lost so much external validation, and I'm someone who had been pretty good throughout my whole life in getting it, uh, I had to really come to terms with my innate value and who I actually am. And it's pretty nice to actually get to the point where I don't so much need the strokes anymore. Right, yeah. Well, you know, the, there's a stage where we get to, and you went through it as well, the where you know it, it does our old ego doesn't work anymore um but yeah. we don't know we don't know the new way yet right you call it That's... a liminal space you know between the between times which are actually very powerful places to be but in in the, when we're in the middle of them they don't seem to be so 
But, you know, when you reached the stage where you were hiding away in your home, you know, binge watching TV, drinking and, and you know, try, trying to numb yourself. And I think many of us can relate to that. You know, we just don't know where to go. Our old self is gone, but there's nothing new. And it's at that moment, and, and I see this as the pivotal point in the book, actually, um, that, that that moment you went out to your hot tub and, yeah. uh, and had this uh, surrendering breakthrough experience, right? And, uh, and saw reality as it truly is. And, and we know it's wonderful when we get these mystical experiences, but they're even more compelling, I think, when we're exhausted, you know. And in yeah. fact, it's the exhaustion that sort of, um, you know, facilitates this or precipitates this uh, breakthrough sometimes, I think. But it was a wonderful moment in the book. And I thought, aha. That there's a there's a true there's a true experience there um, that, that I, I just felt it because I've had the similar ones myself and and you can always tell you know when somebody describes it and and uh, tell us about it because that's that's a powerful point and in fact a turning point for me in the book. Yeah, it was it was a turning point for me and I will I will come back around and describe that experience. I want to touch if you don't mind on this liminal phase concept because I yeah, think yeah. a lot of people are dealing with that right now. And uh, I do describe it in the book, but the liminal stage was first a term that was developed in archeology span and it was in, or anthropology, excuse me. And it was in the study of um, uh, more tribal cultures where they have real rites of passage. Like at a certain age, all the young boys are taken out of the village, they're taken out of their roles, maybe they're stripped of their name, or all the young girls at a certain point, they're taken out of their place in society, they go through some sort of initiation, and they don't know what their place is going to be on the other side. And that's liminal, it's from the same root as limbo. Um, that term has now been brought into psychology because we go through it when we go through anything that really does rock us off our foundation, especially if it shakes us out of the role that we were playing with our community, whether that's our family, whether that's loss of job, whatever that is. And it is a tremendously difficult and challenging place for the human psyche to rest in that liminal phase. Absolutely. So, but I will also say the great gift for me as a person who not only um, was seeking external validation, but has always had an impatience challenge. Um, thank God my ordeal did not resolve sooner than it did, because I, I was one of those butterflies that needed extra time in the chrysalis. <laughs> right? I did. And so my encouragement to folks who are feeling the liminal, we're sort of in a lot of individual as well as kind of a collective liminal phase right now. It's, it's, it's very challenging to our psyches. And I just want to offer encouragement because as you noted, there's such power in that space and in giving it some room to work on you. I, I say in the book that for the first time in my life, I stopped working and allowed myself to be worked on. I think you make a good point too, in, in terms of it taking time. You know, we want instant gratification yes. in our society, and and sometimes it doesn't work like that. We may understand it intellectually. You might read the A Course in Miracles, or we might read some other spiritual teachings and say, yeah, 
That's true. I, I know that. Um, well, we may know it intellectually, but then we have to make it real in every other aspect of our lives, right? And that takes that takes time sometimes. And um, and and you you say the same thing with forgiveness. We'll talk about that in the second segment. Yeah. But it's it's easy to say I forgive you, but but then the the real work is is that true in in every part of our lives because it keeps being revisited, right? The the old resentments, the old hurts keep keep oh. coming to be yes. looked at over and over again. <laughs> so, um, and yeah, we and just to uh, reaffirm for people listening today, yeah, we are in a, a liminal time right now. We, we are, we're in a time of a great uncertainty and confusion and, and uh, inf- misinformation often. Uh, we're not sure what's true and what isn't. So um, yeah. it's, it's, a, it's a crazy-making time. We're, we're heading towards... Um, and an important election, of course, just in a couple of months' time, and that that can make you a little crazy too. You know, where is our country going? Where is our world going? Absolutely. Um, so you know, it there's a, there's a lot of um, it, there's a lot of tension and, and stress uh, in our lives. So uh, a book like this really investigates that that blast and and that trauma, um, but offers um, strategies, as you put it, to you know just to move forward effectively and uh, in this in the second half i want to definitely want to talk about uh, some of those strategies um you you have become just let's talk before the break what you you're uh, what made you want to become a unity minister then yeah you know it's interesting and in fact um i sh- i would love to mention i had the honor of giving um the sunday talk this past sunday and I talk about what a challenging, challenging time this is. So anyone interested in that, that's on the um, Unity of Central Oregon website or Facebook page or whatever. But I do address, you know, all of this big stuff that we are all sitting in right now is is unprecedented. What happened for me with Unity, I'm so grateful. It's it is it is so definitely one of the gifts wrapped in barbed wire that came from this whole thing. I had been a member of Unity 15 years prior to this thing happening, but I hadn't been actively engaged for probably a decade. And um, when this happened, I was so isolated and I was so, so rattled. Um, I had lost so much community and I knew I was kind of at a dangerous point of it was not good for me to be that so completely alone. And you should bear in mind that John and I have been together going on 18 years. We've never lived full time together. We still don't. I still have my little home in Bend and he's got his home in Portland. And that has really worked for us. And we both like a lot of alone time. But it was so intense during that time that I knew I needed community. And I knew that I could not at that moment, it was not healthy for me to just be the solo spiritual practitioner, which is what I had been for so long. I had a beautiful encounter when I was afraid to go out into public because the amount of attack emails and crank phone calls and anonymous creepy hard mail that I received during this time was unreal. And I was afraid that I would that, that would hit me face to face in public. And I'm happy to note I've never had a single person be ugly to me in public. It has all been anonymous or behind the facade of a, a big media institution. But I was out, I was out on one of my running trails here in Bend, Oregon, and I ran into the Unity minister who I hadn't probably seen her 
in six or eight years. And she just came full stop, fully present with me. And the compassion just rolled out of her. And I knew then that I was going to go back to unity, feeling very much like the prodigal daughter. Um, and I started back to unity and, you know, the rest of my life was totally on hold. I really could not work at that time and because of the, all that was going on. And I just wound up taking classes um, for my own growth and healing. And pretty soon I'd racked up a few of these classes and then it was like, wow. And I was so, um, I was so called by the unity message and the concept of, you know, non-separation and, and non-duality and all of that, that I really hadn't understood from before when I was involved with unity. Um, and I thought, you know, if I'm going to be taking all these classes, I might as well be taking or getting credit for it. And then that started going. I was liking the feeling of that. And um, over time, I would say that I, I did not get into the ministerial track with a specific calling, if you will, that I'm going to go take over some congregation. I still don't 100% know where it's going, but I do know it's part of my path. And um, I'm now teaching um, the, some of the unity spiritual education and enrichment classes every now and then myself. Um, I'm more than halfway through the whole ministerial program. I'm doing more of the talks. I serve on the Unity Worldwide Earth Care team. I think part of my ministry is to help bring more activism into Unity itself. Um, but it was pretty organic. And it was, it began with my desire for that community and my love of the, the teachings that I was getting for myself. Excellent. Yeah. And, and all through the book, of course, you, you mentioned um, spiritual teachers that we're very familiar with in Unity from Brene Brown and the Course in Miracles to uh, Eckhart Tolle and, and Eric Butterworth, wonderful Unity minister and, and writer. Um, yeah, that, that really salt the book with, uh, with a lot of wisdom. And, and Eastern wisdom, too, because we're, we're open to that in, in unity as well. And if people want to get hold of you, I think your uh, website is uh, sylviahayes.com. Is that right? Yes, and it's worth noting my name is spelled strangely. It's C-Y-L-V-I-A. I did not do that to myself, um, but that will, <laughs> that will help you and find it. That's the way it came from birth, is it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right, folks, we're at the break. Um, I'm talking with uh, Sylvia Hayes with a C uh, about her new book. It's called uh, When Life Blows Up, A Guide to Peace, Power and Reinvention. It is a powerful book and uh, well worth reading, especially at this time uh, in, in, our, in our nation's history and in our own personal involvement. When we come back after the break, we'll talk about some of the strategies that Sylvia presents to to help us get through tough times uh, and reinvent ourselves and, and re-enter the arena. I love that phrase, re-entering the arena of our lives, getting back to doing some good work. So join us then in a few minutes. You're listening to Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world.
We now return to World Spirituality with Reverend Paul John Roach. So welcome back to today's show. I'm with uh, Sylvia Hayes. We're talking about her book, When Life Blows Up. It's a guide to peace, power, and reinvention, coming through trauma and very great difficulty to reinvent your life. And uh, it's, it's told in, in a compelling and very, very honest way, which makes it powerful. Um, it provides uh, strategies for transformation, but not just short-circuiting the difficulties, but really entering into the difficulties. And in fact, every chapter revisits the trauma and, you, and I, halfway through the book, way through the book, you think, oh, no, we're still going through this. And I thought, yeah, of course we are, because it continues. This is the whole nature of it. It's not something you can just deal with and then shunt aside and move on. Um, it comes up for re-exploration uh, each step of the way. And, and that what, that's what makes the book powerful, I think. But I want to talk about some of these um, uh, strategies and that can work for us. You talk about sticky people. You know, many people, uh, for one reason or another, uh, abandoned you. And, and this often happens, too, when we're going through difficulties. Yep. You know, the people we thought were our closest friends yep. end up falling at the wayside. And, and others that we hadn't really considered seem to be the ones who, who stick with us. Uh, but sticky people are important, right? We need sounding boards. We need people who don't judge us. We need people to accept this uh, sort of warts and all, as we might say. Oh, definitely. Yeah, I was, um, again, as someone who likes a lot of alone time, and I've been lucky enough to be popular when I wanted to be whatever, I was shocked at how painful it was, at how painful the abandonment was. And there, there were a couple of people who went that direction that really, really hurt me because I really believed that they were that they were dear friends. And those were some of the ones that I had to do some much deeper forgiveness work with, which we'll get to later. Um, but I also was unbelievably touched by the kindness from people who didn't know me or didn't know me very well and that stepped forward. And, and one of the things that I... I've, I've, I myself have really become a better friend as a result of going through this because I was so busy and so into my work and all of that that I really didn't invest very much in friendships. Um, that has changed for me. And and I think the other the other piece of this, the, the whole experience, I think, has made me much kinder. I'm not as a nice person to <laughs> before all of this. But I am so much more likely now to proactively reach out to someone who might be struggling or might be hurting because those little simple acts of kindness were lifelines for me at, at some points. Well, I think when we find our true sense of self, right, uh, as you called it, the true self within you, the, the Christ spirit or whatever we might want to label it, but uh, that's that place of authenticity that's that's actually one with everyone. It's it's not just ours. It's 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 in us. It's in everyone. When we find that, then there's a sort of relaxation that comes, right? We're no longer yes. having to prove ourselves. Uh, we're, we're we're naturally relaxed in in this beautiful uh, awareness of who we are in truth. Oh, Paul, that's beautifully said. I wish I had said that exactly like that in the book. Yes. Well, good. I'm going to write my own book and put it yeah. in. <laughs> it was really beautiful, beautifully said. Yeah. Yes, there yeah. is a Thank sense. You. 
a sense of relaxation. I have not even described it to myself that way, but it's exactly right. I am just more relaxed and I still work my tail off. I'm still really committed. I got all kinds of big projects going. I still want to have a big positive impact on our world, all of that, but I'm much more likely to just take an extra moment with the checker in the grocery store, right? right. Just take, take a little time and space there. It is a relaxation. That's a beautiful way of describing it. And one thing you talk about is giving, right? You know, giving back in some way, not necessarily yes. do good, doing good, you know, uh, in that, in that, uh, I wouldn't say phony, but, but in that sense of, oh, I think I must do good because I'm a good person, but just naturally wanting to give something. And that could be, like you said, talking with the checkout person or, or it could be involved in a volunteer project or whatever, but there's some power, isn't there, in giving? Because again, we're getting beyond ourselves into a larger, you know, sense of who we are. Uh, we are that person we're helping, and and uh, there's there's a, a generosity that arises when we give. The more we give, the more there is to give. It seems. Yeah. Yes, I have a whole chapter on giving, and there's so many layers to it. For me, and I think that this may be relevant to a lot of people right now who potentially may be out of work, who who are not able to make contributions in the way that they're used to making their right. contribution. For me, um, I, I was just devastated when I realized how long it was going to be before I would be able to be actively working on the issues that I cared about, you know, climate change and, and uh, economic evolution and those big issues. And I knew, and I was in the, you know, in the, in the process of that work around what is my value? You know, what am, what am I, what am I here to do? What am I, what is my purpose? Because it had all been so rattled. And for me, I started volunteering. I knew I had to be doing something that was contributing beyond myself. I started um, getting involved with an organization that I had been aware of, but too busy to engage with that builds fences for dogs that are living chained 100% of the time. And I'm an old farm girl and an old construction worker, so I can do a lot of handy stuff. And I started doing that. Some of my dearest friends now came from that volunteer involvement. Um, so things like that, and yes, just the simple acts of kindness are sometimes our most important contributions. And then you have a chapter on forgiveness, or two chapters actually, forgiving others, but also forgiving yourself. And I remember my old professor at Unity uh, once told me that forgiveness is giving up the lesser for something greater. And I, I've always liked that because yeah. uh, you know, it's hard to forgive when you're coming from a pinched, mean space, you know, I'll never forgive them. Why should I? They hurt me, you know, et cetera. But when, when we're giving up that sense of, of hurt and, and, and pinched, uh, mean spiritedness for something more expansive, then we can't wait to do it. Right. Because we're we're giving up the lesser for for something much more magnificent. Yeah, that, too. You, you really ought to write a book because that, too, is beautifully said. Um, Forgiveness, I, I, I have said before that um, this life has given me a lot of um, opportunity to practice forgiveness because I'm so dang bad at it by nature. Um, and in this case, 
I mean, I had so much hatred toward the handful of people who were at the heart of the attack that I, I lost my mind a little bit. I mean, I would visualize them being found out to have done something terrible so that they would go through something like what I was going through. And even as I, even as on the one hand, I was wanting that the other truer part of me knew that I didn't want to put any more of that craziness into our world. And I went, uh, you know, the first, the Course in Miracles, again, was super helpful on the forgiveness part of it, because it really encourages that the first step in forgiving is just being willing. And I realized I, I thought I was willing. And then at some point, I realized I actually wasn't because I was very attached to the identity of being victimized by all of this. And that shocked me because I've always, you know, um, anyone who knows me would not, even at that point, I think, would not have thought me ever in a victim mode, but I was. And I had to just, I had to sort of talk with spirit and say, I I am not willing, but I am willing to become willing. (laughs) Because I, I want the freedom. I want the liberation of it. And, you know, then some deeper work, and I, I do offer some strategies and some suggestions um, for how to get there. But the first part, I think, is just being self-honest enough to say, I'm really not terribly willing to forgive, because if I forgive them, if I let them off the hook, does that put me on it? And the truth is, yeah. I mean, the way through a lot of this is to take ownership of the pieces that we brought about. Right, because ultimately we realize that, you know, however hard we try, we can't change the other person, right? You know, we'd love to, we'd love to have see justice prevail, whatever that means for our egos, but it's just not right. not going to happen, you know, not from that level. And so, um, you know, then we have to move beyond that. Otherwise, we're wasting our lives. Our lives are on hold in, in a way, uh, stuck in that spin cycle, you know, going over and over. And and you get to the, the the chapter on reframing, right? Which I love that that phrase anyway. Reframing something, you can't yeah. always change it. Uh, this you can't change the circumstance or what or the facts even, but you can change definitely your attitude uh, towards what it means and and how you choose to go forward, right? So because just as we change our, our we reframe who we are instead of our ego, we see that we are uh, you know beautiful spirit. Uh, uh, that that's a reframing, isn't it? It's a seeing of a completely differently of, of the story of our past. Yes, I think that this piece right here could be really, really useful to a lot of people right now. So, for instance, um, I, I was just chewing myself up alive at first with all of this, feeling like I had just been taken out and defeated and bested by these people. And then I realized, you know, Sil, you can keep going down that path. You can keep telling yourself and you can keep just feeling like you've been dealt the worst defeat of your life. You can look at this that way or you can do what I wound up very intentionally doing and having to remind myself of over and over. I chose to look at this as an unasked for sabbatical that would give yeah. me that would give me time to do some inner work including therapy and some really deep profound inner work to do some writing that would give me time to explore avenues even for work that I hadn't explored before because I was now sidelined from my work. That was potentially a life-changing reframing or a life-saving reframing for me because it gave me some agency and it gave me 
And it shifted me out of the anger. Right. And, uh, you know, that that's huge, isn't it? We have to let go of that. Otherwise, it literally will destroy us, maybe physically, yeah. you know, yeah. definitely emotionally. I mean, it, it's just not, not going to work for us to live in, in that context. So, you know, we have to do ourselves, eventually we have to do ourselves a favor and, and, and release that. And, you know, however hard it might be, you know, to, to open up that tight fist of resentment and, and, and you know, and let go. It's, it's, it's not easy. It's, uh, it's a, it's a work in progress, like you said. And then we re-enter the arena. And I noticed you you chose two wonderful uh, poems or statements. Um, w- one is Invictus, you know, by that the great um, poem about, about that we're captain of our fate and master of our soul um, by that English Victoria. He's actually forgotten, really. Nobody knows him anymore except for that one poem. And then, of course, the immortal words of uh, Theodore Roosevelt about uh, entering the arena, right? And uh, but both of them speak to you know bruised and bloody, uh, you know, and and hurt by life, and yet unbowed, right? Still willing yep. to, to enter into um, what it means to be alive, and and really, you know, n- nobody can condemn us for our past because you know we we paid our dues, and now we're moving on. We're standing forth in the in the new light of, of today, and the, and and that's the encouragement that you give to us, I think. Well, that's certainly the hope. You know, I think there's there are a couple of aspects to that chapter on re-entering the arena, and I again, I think it's going to be relevant to a lot of folks as we come through these wild times that we're in, because a whole lot of us are not are not going to just go back to, quote, normal. This is a fundamental shift in many, many systems that our lives interact with. And so um, there comes a point, I think, when you really, well, one of the really practical pieces I would add here is I learned the hard way that we each have the power to write our own narrative, to write our own story. And I work with a lot of, I have worked with a lot of people who are before COVID, who were sort of middle age and re, like re-entering the workforce or coming through something that undid the career trajectory they were on. And one of the things I say is, you know, there are myriad ways to tell our stories that are true. So for instance, I could say when someone would ask me, you know, what happened here these last few years? I could have said, well, God, I made this terrible mistake and it was devastating and I got investigated and it, you know, just played tremendous havoc on my partner, destroyed my business, blah, blah, blah. I could say that. That was true. I could also say, well, you know, um, my family got hit with a really, really uh, big challenge and I decided to take some time out to do some inner work to become a certified empowerment coach, to begin ministerial studies, uh, and to write a book. That's true, too. So for people who are now in the process of reinventing and who will be reinventing as our society goes through this this shakeup, um, that, I think, might be useful to think about. I'm thinking right now, as I'm speaking also, there's a term, I, I, I shared this in my Sunday talk a couple days ago, there's a term that I really love called chaotic. It's C-H-A-O-R-D-I-C. 
and it refers to a time when chaos and order are both existing, and it further refers to a point in which um, new order is able to bubble up through pockets of chaos. And I think that's what happens oftentimes in our personal lives when we are in these, these really foundation-shifting ordeals. And I also think it's the possibility that is before us right now um, collectively. And, you know, the, the hope is that in going through this, we don't just, you know, do the same old thing, right? When, uh, try and go back to normal. There, there is no normal. Uh, and I, I think part of the, the, the COVID crisis and, and other things that happen to our lives is th there's an opportunity to rethink how we do things, right? And so, so that we, we could maybe reinvent um, for instance, I haven't eaten out in uh, five months now. Maybe I've had a couple of takeout meals, um, and and I love it. You know, I'm I'm loving cooking. I'm loving um, creating my own recipes or whatnot. And I don't miss the the heavily uh, salted foods, uh, you know, and and the huge portions. And I'm I'm thinking I I'm not sure I want to go back to that, you know. Uh, but it became a habit. You know, you go out, you meet people. You, it's part of the society, and they, people w want you to do this um, to, to sustain, the, you know, the, the economic machine, whatever. So uh, but you realize, man, I was living in, uh, um, you know, somebody else's dream for me, you know, that I bought into. And I'm just, just one example. So I think that, you know, that we have a chance to stop and look and maybe re-examine, re reinvent what, what's valuable for us. Absolutely. I wrote a, an article um, called Normal Was Killing Us. I, this is through my, my other side, through the economic evolution. It's on my, my 3E Strategies website, and it got picked up by Shift Network and others and has had quite a bit of, quite a bit of um, um, viewing. But the point was, when COVID hit, the first thing that we heard was, we got to get back to normal. We got to get back. Well, what we really right. need doing, we really need to be questioning, was normal really working all that well? Yeah. <laughs> and in a lot of ways, it wasn't, you know, that could, this could be, I don't want to take it too far afield, because I could do a whole show on this topic, and in fact have. Um, but you know, be, COVID is not what broke our economy. COVID just has highlighted the flaws that were already built into that economy, the inequality, half of all Americans being at or barely above the poverty line, an economy that requires continuous growth, which means the destruction of natural resources. Um, these are things that we have an opportunity to revisit. And again, this is what I mean by we're in such an intense time right now because there is this collective need for a new normal. And then for many of us, we are being forced into a new normal because of the time out and because of all of the the unrest and the uncertainty. So it is it is it is powerful and it is I'm super excited about it. Well good, that's good. We want we don't want to be down in the doldrums about it, but that's you know unfortunately some people uh, get overwhelmed and and there's there's moments when all of us do, you know, where we feel like we're stuck in the uh, and and I have to wear these masks or whatnot, you know. But but I I, I continually go back to the, the Second World War and think about my grandparents and my parents and what they went through, you know, for six years 
in my case, being British. Um, but even over here for four years, and uh, you know that was a tough time. And they came through with resilience and courage, and uh, with, with a certain sang froid. You know, they they didn't they weren't whining about it. And I thought if they can do that, you know, I, I can deal with with this difficulty right now. You know, it, it's not it's not destroying my life. It's it, you know, there's sadness happening. Yes, um, just as there was in the Second World War. But but we can persevere, you know. We have these qualities within us, right? That are uh, of resilience and transformation. All the qualities, really, that you talk about in in your endeavor, you know, you, all the things you've been through, and um, no easy answers, though. And I like that idea, you know, that this, there's no shortcut. We can't spiritually bypass this. We have to go through it, right? Not not yeah. uh, hoping it's going to go away. No, it's not going to go away. Not right now, anyway. Nope, not right now anyway, you know, and we also have, we are for the first time long overdue, we're beginning to face the original stain of this country, which is first, you know, genocide with uh, the, the uh, indigenous people, and then of course, building a country on slavery. And all of these shadows are now becoming much more visible to much to many more of us. And it is, it is going to be a wild ride, but it is the only possibility we have of actually ever seeing the, the, the beauty that is behind the so-called American dream become real. Right. So it, yeah. it, it, is, it is an exciting and really demanding time. And the only way we can do this is to, is to look uh, you know, honestly at the shadow, right? Um, Exactly and, right. uh, and see that you know in the dream there's a, there's some nightmarish things that have happened and uh, to own that as well it's all it's all part of our of our history and uh, part of this great experiment and and that's yeah. true around the world too you know uh, I, I, my own country Britain you know is is talking about dropping the um, Royal Britannia and Land of Hope and Glory from the the, the last night of the Proms and which is a famous you know musical concert in London. And I thought, my goodness, that seems radical. But I thought it's about time, though. You know, it's talking about slaves and domination of the British Empire. You know, that's kind of old school. Now we need to reinvent our culture. So everything's up for grabs, it seems. And and but that, like you said, is is can be a powerful thing, right? I th I personally think we're either at a point of evolution or devolution, and I am all in for evolution. You there know, we go. pessimism is not a survival strategy. So I am all in. I think I think these things needed to come to a head. Um, you know, COVID, in my opinion, was Mother Nature putting us in time out a little bit so that we can re-examine some of our ways of interacting with this planet, some of our ways of so-called economic. Uh, I do not believe growth equates to progress. That's a whole different topic. But yeah, it's uh, right. it's a. Uh, it's a it's a real time for reinventing and on many levels and perhaps you know to bring it back to the topic re-entering these arenas in entirely different healthier brighter ways and it's pushed a lot of people out of our comfort zones but i just want to offer a little encouragement i got blasted out of my comfort zones and I was in a five-year period of quote dark night of the soul type experiences 
And I am so much more comfortable and joyful and genuinely happier now than I was in the previous comfort zone. And we celebrate that for you and, and your testimony to help others as well. So that's wonderful. And I do believe that uh, the universe is weighted on the side of, of good and possibility because it's created that way, right? By spirit, by this, this great mystery. But I think it's always um, moving in the direction of love and transformative good. So uh, we, we can trust that and, and, uh, and know that, yeah, it, it's tough. But uh, it's worth it. So um, I hope you've enjoyed yeah. the show, folks. It's uh, we've covered a whole lot of subjects. Um, we've got enthusiastic, I hope, and, and I hope we've uh, excited you in some way. And I want to thank uh, Sylvia Hayes for for being my guest today. Thank you so much for bringing your book and your ideas and your enthusiasms to to the show. Thank you, Paul. I really, really appreciate the opportunity. And if there's one word of wisdom that you want to, literally one word or three words of wisdom which you'd like to leave for our listeners today, what would it be? Stay hopeful for transformation. There we go. Stay hopeful for transformation. And we know that when we hold these thoughts in consciousness, they become realities for us and they begin to outpicture into our, and begin to manifest in our lives. So, if we hold those thoughts of transformation, then, then they become real things, right? It's not just a nice idea. It's loaded with possibility because we are choosing to, to stay in that consciousness. So wonderful word to end our show. Thank you so much for listening to um, this show. Next week, I've got uh, creative alchemist Diana Rowan talking to me about her book, The Bright Way, and it offers five steps for freeing the creative within so that should be good too thanks again for listening thanks to sylvia bye now Thank you for listening. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Are you ready to experience the rich interconnection of spirituality, orientation, and identity? If so, plan to attend Liberating Your Divine Identity, a retreat at Unity Village during Pride Month, June 9th to the 12th. This soul-filled retreat is facilitated by LGBTQIA plus Unity Ministers with workshops and ceremonies to cultivate a deeper awareness of our spiritual nature. Register at unityvillage.org forward slash divine 2022 